All right, if you have your Bibles, want to turn, you turn to the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be in your presence today. Thankful for the opportunity to celebrate you and to tell you how much we love you. And now we ask that you would bless this time in the Word of God, that you would open up our hearts, that we would be able to comprehend and understand and apply what your Word says to us. And may you be glorified above all else, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says... Amen. We're going to read the same passage we read last week. I'm going to close out this sermon uh, this week. Uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's a very popular passage of Scripture if you've been around the church or if you've been to a funeral. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. All right, the finish line. We're talking about the finish line. Last week we started talking about the importance of finishing strong. Because a lot of people start the race. They look good at the beginning, but they don't always stick it out. And we we have to know that good intentions without actions never get anyone anywhere. Am I right? We have good intentions, but if we don't add actions to those good intentions... Not only do we not get anywhere, we normally just end up in a place of regret. Because I had good intentions, but I never did anything. And so I ended up in a place of regret. And this passage reminds us and that we have to look back over our lives sometimes. Now, like I said, we normally hear this passage at funerals, and obviously it applies when, when we think about somebody's life who's lived for the Lord. It's easy for us to look back and say, you know, they, they have. They finished their course. They kept the faith. They, they fought a good fight. Now, now they are headed to a place where they receive a crown of, of, of righteousness. But it's unfortunate that we only use that passage of Scripture then, because really it's an examination passage. It's an examination passage. It's, it's a, a scripture that we need to apply to our life on a daily basis, and we need to ask ourselves questions. Am I an offering poured out to the Lord? Is my life an offering to God? Is my life a sacrifice unto Him? Am I fighting the good fight? Am I fighting righteously? Am I fighting well? Am I competing with everything that I have? Am I finishing my course? Am I fulfilling the purpose for which God called me right now? I don't want to wait till I'm at the edge of eternity to look back on my life and ask myself, did I do these things? I want to ask myself now to know that I can move forward. Am I keeping the faith? Am I standing for what I believe in? Am I standing for my convictions? Am I moving forward? Am I protecting and proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Last week we talked about Mark. That's right. And we talked about Demas. Mark versus Demas. Both of whom at one point in time traveled with Paul. And we know the story of Mark. Mark started out with Paul and Barnabas, and then Mark deserted them on their first missionary journey. Mark gave up, and he went home. We don't know why. Maybe he was spiritually immature. Maybe he couldn't handle the the rigors of mission work. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've been on quite a few mission trips, and most of them that we've been on haven't been that hard. All right? We ate. I mean, on my first mission trip, I stayed in a presidential suite. That's right. Amen. I stayed in a presidential suite that had a bathroom in it that's larger than my bedroom on a mission trip, right? So I don't know what Mark may have gone through. Mark may have went on these mission trips thinking, you know, we're going on an extended vacation. But Paul and Barnabas were persecuted, right? And so Mark gave up. And so then on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him again because Mark was Barnabas' cousin. 
And Paul said, no, we're not taking the quitter. We're not taking the guy who abandoned us. We're not taking the guy who gave up. So there was such a disagreement that Barnabas took Mark and went one way. Paul took Silas and went the other. So that's the last we hear of Mark because Luke traveled with Paul. We don't know what happened. We don't know where reconciliation took place. But we know later on in this passage of Scripture, in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So at some point in time, Mark got back on the horse. At some point in time, Mark got back up. He could have quit. He could have stayed there. He could have stayed in shame. He could have said, I'm never going to move forward. But Paul reconciled with this guy and said, he is profitable to my ministry. Now, Demas, on the other hand, Demas started out with, with Paul. He was, he was defined by Paul as a co-laborer of Jesus Christ, or co-laborer with him in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then he, he tells us that in this, in this passage of Scripture, also in verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Demas started out with Paul, started out strong. He was considered a co-laborer with Paul in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul, and Paul even tells us why Demas left him. Does anybody know why? Having loved this present world. Having loved the things of this world more than loving the things of God. So Mark is a message of hope for us. That failure isn't final. That just because we have stepped off the trail, just because we've sat out on the race for a minute, does not mean we can't get back up and get back in. And then Demas is a warning to us. That just because we start well, does not mean... That we finish well. And that's why Paul reminds us of the eternal reward awaiting us if we finish well. Paul says, they that love his appearing are going to get a crown. And then we talked about Jeremiah and Lamentations last week. He said the reason why Jerusalem fell is because they did not consider their destiny. When we consider our destiny, what we have been called to do, when we remember who we are, when we remember where we are headed, when we remember the blessings and the promises of God, when we remember the destiny that God has placed upon our lives, then we recognize the victory that is ours. And so this week, I want to dive into how we can make sure that we finish strong. See, all of us probably here have examples of when we started something and we didn't finish. Anybody have any problem thinking of one of those? Because there are some wives here that have a list that could help remind some of you husbands of things that you started and haven't finished. So if you need some help, I'm sure that there's a way to find out, right? We've all had stuff that we started and didn't finish. And how do you feel when you don't finish something? It's always, there's always something in the back of your mind saying, I need to get to that. I need to get to that. I'm the kind of person, uh, one, of, one of my issues is that like, when I see something that needs done, that's what I start doing, even when I'm in the middle of doing something else. You ever, you ever done that? You're in the middle of doing something and you look over and like, oh, that needs done. And so this gets left and you're, you're doing this and they're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't do that. And so all of a sudden you've got a, a whole thing, a whole list of things that you've got three quarters of the way done, halfway done, 99% done. If you would just pound the nail in, it would be finished. And so we all have examples of when we started something. And it's never good to be a quitter. Obviously, it's never good to be a quitter. We teach our kids that unless it was something that you should have never started in the first place. Some of you probably need to quit something because you should have never started it in the first place, right? 
We've all probably been in spiritual times where we felt like giving up or at least shrinking back. Now, some of you may say, no, Mark, I've always lived on the mountaintop. I've always walked in the third heaven. I've always had a relationship with God where, you know, nothing ever goes wrong in my life. I never feel bad. I never feel discouraged. And then, of course, you're a liar and you know where liars go, right? We've all been in a place in our lives where we feel like uh, maybe not giving up on God, but we just feel like quitting. We just feel like sitting down. We feel like shrinking back instead of pressing in and pushing in and going forward. Maybe we've even had moments in our lives where we have periods of desolation or dryness. Ever been through a spiritual dry time in your life? And there are some of us in here that have even experienced times of backsliding. And again, backsliding is not something that takes place overnight. Most people don't, most people don't come to the Lord excited, rejoicing, singing, praising, and in the next day, they give up on God and walk away and they're snorting drugs, right? It doesn't normally happen that way. Backsliding doesn't take place over the night. It's, it's a progression. It's a process. I'm sure with Demas, there wasn't a situation in which Demas was full force with Paul, and then all of a sudden he dropped off one day and said, nope, I think I like the world better. I'm sure there was a progression, even if Paul never saw it. And that's the thing about backsliding is that many times things are happening in our lives and other people may not see it. But if you're honest with yourself, you'll see it. You'll see where you used to be passionate, where you used to be hungry for God, where you used to want to worship, and now you look back and you've lost it. It's a progression that takes place in our lives. And as we look at what we need to do to finish strong, we have to at the same time look at what may be draining our desire. So as we are talking about moving forward in the things of God, we have to be honest with ourselves. If I'm going to finish this thing, and I don't know about you, I want to finish. I want to finish. And so I I, I want to make sure that we get in our hearts today these, these simple things that I want us to think about if we're going to finish strong. If we're going to finish strong. Number one. Number one, and this might sound kind of funny, but number one, we have to make sure we're actually in the race. I know that sounds like it's somewhat simplistic, but I have seen a lot of people that look like they're running, but they're not. I've seen a lot of people that sign up for the race. I think I mentioned this last week. They go out and they buy all the apparel. You got all the running apparel on. You know, you've got your strap on your arm. You got your number on. You're all written down. You're ready to go. You're ready to hear the gun sound. But when the race starts, you're not in it. How many of you know it's not good enough to look like you're running? Some of us are on a treadmill spiritually. We've never, we've never moved forward. Sometimes we have to determine whether or not we are in the race. What am I saying? Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. There has to come a time in your life where you ask the question, are you sure? And I know I preached this not too long ago, but this is really something that has to settle in our hearts. Are you sure you're right with God? Are you sure? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I believe there's a lot of good people in here. But the issue is not goodness. The issue is righteousness. The only way to heaven is if you are born again, if your life has been radically changed. Are you in the race? Are you sure? And so we have to ask, we have to answer those questions. Am I even in the race? Because it's not enough to go through the motions. I fear that there are people that are sitting in churches every Sunday 
that are not in the race. They're not in the race because their lives have not been radically changed by the grace of God. Make sure you're in the race. Number two, we need to check our motives. Why you are running is very important. Why you are doing this is very important. You know, Paul basically said that the love of Christ constrains me. And that's a very, very powerful statement that Paul is saying. The love of Christ constrains me. In other words, there is a love that God has for me and a love that I have for Jesus that is so overwhelming and so powerful that it motivates me to the point in which I have no other choice. You ever loved anybody like that? You ever loved something like that? Ever hated something like that? Because love and hate are not necessarily opposites. Have you ever loved something so passionately that to think of not loving them or not loving it is, uh, is strange to your mind? It's foreign to your thought process? Paul was saying there's such a love that's been placed upon my life for God. There's such a love that's been placed on my life for Christ and for his mission and for his purpose that Paul says for me to do anything else does not even make sense. How many people have come to Christ out of fear? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I was in, I was in eighth grade, and I was in uh, New Light and Power, and of course, New Light and Power had, had a lot of teenagers in it, teenagers that had come and gone. But during my uh, eighth grade year, there were three guys that were in an accident who were in 10th grade who died. And when that happened, there was a, a spark of revival that happened, and a lot of teenagers were getting saved. And New Light and Power, I mean, ballooned to like, uh, there was over a hundred of us. Were, were you in that grade when that, was, when that happened? There was like over a hundred of us. I remember us going to some churches, and there were so many of us standing on, up on the platform that we would take turns sitting down because nobody could see you anyway. The people that were in the back, we'd just sit down and then they'd just fill in the gap because there were so many of us standing up there. It was an awful time, but it awakened people to the reality of eternity, of how short life is. But what happened after the fear wore off? They started dropping off again. You didn't see them coming to church anymore. You didn't see them at New Light and Power anymore. And I'm not, I'm not trying to point anybody out or judge anyone, but how many people have come to Christ out of fear? Didn't the same thing happen during 9-11? How many altars were filled when we saw those buildings fall? And then after the fear subsides, where's our passion for Christ? Because fear... Don't get me wrong. The Bible says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I understand an eternity without Christ is a fearful proposition. But eventually the fear wears off. And grace does not produce fear. Grace produces love. And unless we have experienced grace, unless we have truly been radically changed by grace, then we only are motivated by fear. How many of you believe that you could run pretty far if you were being chased by something that you didn't want to be caught by? Right, I'm not in shape, but if I am being chased by a grizzly, I have now turned into a Kenyan marathon runner. I will run till my lungs are on the outside of my body. Right? 
Because when you are afraid, all of a sudden something motivates you to keep running. I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. Then what happens when the grizzly stops chasing you? You stop. There's no need to run anymore. When the fear wears off, we lose our passion to follow. How many times have people come to Christ out of hard times? Or because they need God to do something for them. Can you get me out of this mess? Can you save my marriage? Can you help me with my job? Can you get me out of this financial mess? Can you get me out of my addiction? Can you help me here? Can you heal my loved one? If you'll do these things for me, Lord, then I'll serve you. And then what happens? I've seen two things happen. God answers prayer, and then people don't need God anymore. So they walk away. Or God doesn't answer the prayer they wanted prayed, and they get mad at God, and they walk away. Because their entire relationship was based upon what God was going to do instead of what God has already done. Salvation is is me surrendering my life to the cross. Jesus didn't have to die for me, but he did. And as far as I'm concerned, if he never answers another one of my prayers, he rescued my life from hell. How many times have we started running... And we're running only because people are watching or because we have to live up to a certain standard. You know, if I don't do this, then somebody's going to say something. You know, I've said before, sometimes we come to church because if we don't, somebody might call us, right? If I don't show up, somebody might call me. If I do this, then somebody might judge me. So I've got to do all these religious things in order to get people to like me or to notice me. Are we only running? Because we're afraid of judgment. If I were to announce to you here today that Jesus appeared to me and said, there is no hell. Nobody's going to hell. First of all, you should stone me because I'm a heretic. But let's just say for a minute that that was truth. There is no hell. No one is going to hell. There are some people that would quit. Because what motivates us is a fear of hell. That's not relationship. That's not reality. We need to check our motives. If we are passionate about Jesus, then our motive should be for his glory. This should be our want to. This is our want to. Lord, I don't don't not do these things simply because, well, if I do, I'll get judged. I don't do these things because I don't want to. I want his glory. I want his presence. I want to pursue him. That's my motive. Religion will only make you tired because you're trying to run in your own strength. I mean, let's think about it for just a moment. Let's think about what just religion tells us. Religion tells us if you don't cuss, if you don't drink, if you don't smoke, if you don't sleep around, then you're okay. Right? That's what religion tells us. And so what we end up doing is we end up living a life by a checklist. We end up living a life by law. We end up living a life that says, I can only do these things, and I can't do these things. And then it becomes a drudgery, and then we get tired because we're not relying on grace. We're relying on law. And when we rely on law, all we do is get tired because we're doing it in our own strength. So we've got to check our motives. Why are you running? Man, if it's for the glory of God, then this run becomes a whole lot easier. If it's because of the grace of God, it becomes a whole lot easier. When I start living my life for Him and not worrying about what other people think about me, it becomes a whole lot easier. It doesn't matter how you look when you run, just as long as you run. It's like Phoebe on Friends. You ever seen that episode where she goes jogging? She runs like this. (laughs) It don't matter what you look like, just run! 
Number three, it's more than a feeling. When we only run when we're feeling it, how many of you have not ran simply because you weren't feeling it? You ever said that? I ain't feeling it today. I'm going to eat a donut. Because I'm always feeling a donut. Who's not always feeling a donut? That's right. Say a word. I'm not doing it. I'm not feeling it. But it's those who overcome are the ones who say, even when I'm not feeling it, I'm still going to get up. I'm going to put my shoes on. I'm going to put my clothes on. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to do what I've got to do because it's not just about feeling it. If we are only operating when we feel it, then it becomes easy to quit. We walk by faith, which means we also run by faith. Everything that we do is by faith. This run means that it's not based upon how I feel, but on what I believe. It is based upon what his word has said. It is based upon his promises. It is based upon what I have seen him do and what I believe he's going to do. Not what I feel at any given moment. We had a house full of boys last night. Logan had a birthday party, and some kids came over and spent the night, and they didn't go to bed when they're supposed to go to bed. As a matter of fact, a few of them came upstairs and used the bathroom seven times. Avery got a drink at 1.30. I said, it's 1.30, son. It is 1.30. He's just standing there staring at me in the light of the refrigerator. So, yeah, there was an aura. So I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel like getting up this morning. Didn't necessarily feel like coming. And there may have been some of you here this morning that got up and said, it's Sunday. I got to go. I got to go. You got to go back to your motives, right? If we do everything based on feeling instead of faith, then we quit easy. Because we have to get through the highs of life as well as the lows of life. You know, there's this, this thing that I used to call church camp. Uh, church camp high. And that, that's where, you know, you have church camp every year, which we haven't had church camp in a while. And I didn't even really go to a lot of church camp when I was younger. But when those of you who went to church camp, you know what I'm talking about. Every year you got saved at church camp. You got, you got rededicated your life at church camp. You got excited about God at church camp every year. Why? Because you're surrounded by it, you're, in, you're engulfed in it, the music's wonderful, the lessons, you're talking about Jesus, everybody's crying, everybody's sharing their heart, everybody wants to make it, so we all get saved, right? And then we come back home and it lasts for like three weeks, right? It lasts for like three weeks until we see that guy or we see that girl, right? And, and we, we're feeling all fluttery inside and then our hearts just fall away from God again. And then you're just hanging on for church camp. Some of us, am I right? I'll see you at church camp. And some of us are living from Sunday to Sunday. When I get that feeling on Sunday, I'll get, I'm excited, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then by Tuesday, we've cussed out six people. We've kicked the dog. We've quit our job. <laughs> Brian keeps waving a hanky at me. But... We have to learn to get through the highs and the lows of life. It's not just the low times that we need to remind ourselves to pick ourselves up. We have to remember that we can't rely on the high. I mean, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane had to say, let this cup pass from me. Even Jesus went from the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw the glory of God, to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He went from the high to the low, but he still did what he was called to do. On the cross, he cried, why have you forsaken me? He went from basking in the glory of God to why have you forsaken me? But he still finished his course. It's more than a feeling. It's faith. Number four, it really is about devotions. Sometimes we try to make things more difficult than they are. Do you know anybody like that? We make things more difficult than we are. We run by faith. And, and a, a biblical faith is not just believing for promises. That's part of it. But biblical faith is trust. And trust comes through knowledge. So the definition of faith is simply knowing God. When we have a revelation of God, a true revelation of Jesus, then our faith is no longer grounded in feeling. It's no longer grounded in circumstances. It's no longer grounding in any one person. When we truly get a revelation of who Jesus is, then our faith is locked in the character and the faithfulness and the unfailing nature of God. It's knowing God. Prayer, Bible reading, worship. We all act like that these are just simple things that we all know, but yet we don't do them. Prayer, Bible reading, worship. We must see Him. If our lives are based on beholding the glory of God, then nothing else satisfies. If we don't have a consistent prayer life, if we're not consistently diving into the Word of God, if we're not spending time in worship, then we have to stop for a minute and ask ourselves, how do I think I'm going to make it? When we are pursuing His glory through prayer, through Bible reading, through worship, then no other run makes sense because nothing else satisfies Nothing, the the pull of the world doesn't matter anymore. The pull of the flesh doesn't matter as much anymore. The story of Elijah, we know know Elijah, he was a powerful man of God, a prophet. He has an encounter with the the prophets of Baal. There's 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. We know there's a battle that takes place there. And basically Elijah calls fire down from heaven. Fire comes down from heaven and only consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the water that was poured on the sacrifice. And it consumes the stones that the sacrifice was lying on. And so we see the glory of God. The 400 prophets of Baal get hanged. And so Jezebel, the queen, sends people after Elijah to hunt him down. And where does Elijah go? He goes and hides in a cave, right? He goes and hides in a cave. And we we know the story. God appears to him. In fire, he appears to him in an earthquake. He appears to him in the wind. And so he hears all these voices. He hears an earthquake. He, hears, he sees fire. He, hears, he feels wind. All of these things. But the Bible says that God was not in the fire. God was not in the earthquake. And God was not in the wind. And then a still, small voice came. And God was in the still, small voice. We always look for the supernatural manifestations And miss out on the simple relationship of knowing Jesus. But what I find very interesting is where did Elijah go? He went to Mount Horeb. Know what another name for Mount Horeb is? Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? That's where they met with God. That's where the glory of God fell. That's where the nation of Israel was defined. 
That's where the Ten Commandments were given. That's where God revealed himself in thunder and lightning. Where did Elijah go? He went back to where he started. It really is this simple sometimes, guys. Devotions matter. If we're not praying, if we're not spending time in the Word, if we're not worshiping, we're not going to finish well. If we're not listening for the still small voice, if we're always looking for the spectacular and missing the miraculous, then we're never going to make it. Number five is humility. The ground for every other spiritual strength is humility. Humility remains teachable. In other words, it wants to grow during hard times. It's willing to learn. It's willing to receive. It's willing to hear. It's willing to be corrected. It's willing for someone to come along and help him or her along. Humility is always teachable. Humility is transparent. It's not going to make excuses. It's not going to hide sin. It's not going to make an excuse for why I'm shrinking back or why I'm thinking about quitting or why I'm following after the things of the world. When we recognize that it takes a heart that is transparent before God, that's the only way that we're going to live victoriously. Anything that you keep hidden controls you. Humility is accountable. In other words, it looks for ways to be honest and open with other people who are in the race. Humility is not one who's going to walk around and never admit that there's any... I don't have anything wrong. I'm okay. I'm the best runner in this race. Look at how I run. But your heart's falling apart and, you, and your mind's being pulled in a hundred directions and you're full of fear and doubt and insecurity and there, there's, a, there's a pull of, of, and the lies of our own sin. If we don't humble ourselves enough to say, I'll be accountable... I'll be transparent. I want you to be able to speak into my life. I want you to be able to help me. I want you to be able... You know, the Bible tells me that if I see a righteous man in his sin, and I do not warn them of their sin, this is Ezekiel, and their blood is on my hands. We have to recognize that we're all called to be in this thing together. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Confess your faults faults one to another that you might make it, that you can get to the other side. Now, I'll admit, be picky who you're transparent with. Because there are even some Christians that you can't trust to tell them the, the combo to your locker. Much less share the deepest, darkest secrets of your life. Am I right? Do y'all know anybody? If, if, here's the thing. There are people that I know of that if I want people to know... But I don't want to tell them, I'll just tell them. Because I know they'll tell them. Right? There's just some people you know that if I tell them, and I don't explicitly say, now listen, if you tell this, you die. They will tell it. Right? So don't get me wrong, there are people in our lives that we have to make sure that we are being transparent with the right people. We want people who cheer us on, not kick us when we're down. We want people who don't smile at us when, they, when we tell them what's going on and then go talk about us when we're not around. You know, always remember, if someone's talking about somebody else to you, then they're probably talking about you to them. Right? Come on. We've all been there. Humility is not fake because you cannot fake this run and make it. You can't do like we did in track, like I shared last week. You know, we would run around the, the, the school 
And somebody would come by in their car and we would all pile in the car. Some people even sat on the hood and the car would just drive around the block. And we'd get off about a block away and run back. And our track coach, for some reason, thought we were all Olympic runners. Man, that's a record. That's what happens when you're going 30 miles an hour down Maryland Avenue on the hood of a car. <laughs> you, you can't fake this run. You don't get to the end of this thing because you took shortcuts or because you caught a ride or because you dropped in from a helicopter. You've got to run this thing. You've got to run this thing. Humility is not fake. Humility relishes in obedience. It relishes in submission. It desires to surrender to the call of God. Why? Because that is what satisfies. That's what satisfies. So humility is beautiful because it's adorned by God. The Bible says that that grace puts a garland upon the humble. Grace literally clothes us in His glory. It clothes us. It makes us look rich when we're not. It makes us look beautiful even when sometimes our lives are a mess. So there we are walking in the beauty of God looking all bougie. Looking all cool and put together. Right? Because grace clothes us. That's right. Grace clothes us with glory. The last two I want to share with you really quickly, and these these are ones that I've harped on and you've heard about, but number six is community. We need each other. It's always easy, easier when you're not running alone. Now, don't get me wrong. Lots of times I do like to run along, run alone, not because I, I worry about, you know, keeping up. Like if I were to run with Scott Poor, I would have to get a scooter or... <clears throat> You know, uh, it's not it's not that it's just because I'm not in quite that great a shape by about a half mile. I'm breathing pretty hard and I don't want to talk because I need oxygen and talking takes too much oxygen. Right. So if you want to run beside me and we just look at the scenery, come on along. But I'm not answering your questions. And it's not because I don't like you. It's because I'm dying. I can't breathe. I literally can't breathe. But we do need each other. It's easier to do this thing when there's somebody in it with you. How many of you have ever, you know, it's not always easy to go work out when you're going by yourself, right? It's not easy to go do that exercise when there's not somebody yelling at you, come on, you can do it, right? Because that somehow gives you extra strength, right? There's always protection in fellowship. And it's when we decide that we don't need the church that walking away becomes the natural reaction. When we get to the point when we decide we don't need the people of God, then the natural reaction is a walking away. Demas chased the wrong community. He had a desire to fit in. He had a desire to be accepted. He wanted to be seen as hip and cool. Right? I don't like coffee. How many of you hate me now? I don't, I don't like coffee. But there's a part of me that wishes that I did. Because all the cool kids drink coffee. But I don't like it. So I don't drink it. There's a lot of times that we do things simply because we want to be seen as hip, as cool. 
Demas chased the wrong community. So here's the thing. If the enemy can't get us through fleshly sins, he'll get us through the pull of the world, and he'll get us through getting mad at the church or getting mad at our brothers and sisters or getting frustrated with the things of God. If he can point out all the reasons why you shouldn't like Kevin Williams, then he'll defeat you, which that list couldn't be very long. I mean, I don't even know if I can get through a full sentence. I, well, Paula might have a list, but I'm just saying. If he can give you a reason why you shouldn't be there, they're all hypocrites. They didn't notice me. They hurt me. They didn't call me when I wasn't there. They didn't blah, blah, blah. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. If he can give you a reason why you shouldn't be there, then it makes it easier to quit, doesn't it? Community. We need each other. We are connected together. And the final one is service. When we give of ourselves, there is a spiritual law that kicks in. What we make happen for others, God will make happen for us. There's a spiritual law. See, sowing and reaping is not just about money. For a matter of fact, that passage of Scripture has nothing to do with money. It has to do with spiritual and fleshly things. But it all has to do with what we do for others is planting seeds. So if we plant seeds in other people's lives through service, then we reap in our own life. Dad preached for many, many years telling us, if, you don't, don't, if your joy is leaking out, then go serve someone. Go minister to someone. You need a healing in your body, go pray for somebody who's sick. If you're discouraged, go find somebody and encourage them. If you're feeling like giving up, go share your testimony with somebody else. Service makes happen for you what you made happen for others. When we decide to love other people, then what happens is, is the weights of unforgiveness, grudges, past hurts fall away. And let's just be honest. This is one of the main reasons why people give up in the race. They've been hurt. Their past is littered with pain. They can't forgive. They can't let go. They're holding grudges. And because of that, they, at best, live under the law. Because unforgiveness is just a manifestation of living under the law. Forgiveness is always a result of living under grace. When we live under grace, we are able to let go of the weights of unforgiveness, grudges, past hurts, and we don't fall away. Serving puts us in a position to be at work with God. See, when we are in service, obedient service, the Bible says I have now become a co-laborer with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I'm working with Jesus, it seems like he does a good job. But it also brings us the greatest joy. We've got to get out of our heads that somehow that hanging out in the bar or running around with the world or giving into our fleshly desires is what's going to truly satisfy us. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I don't have any issues with, with people who have friends who are unsaved or, or you, wanna, you hang out with folks. I, I'm, not sa- I'm talking about what's happening in here. I'm talking about when our heart starts getting pulled away from the things of God. We have to stop fooling ourselves into acting like this is what's going to completely satisfy us and that church and holiness and all these things are a drudgery. The only reason why we think that is because we haven't experienced it. The service of God not only glorifies Him, but brings us the greatest joy. 
So as I close here this morning, the race is not going to be easy. And honestly, that's one of the first things we've got to get in our heart. Quit thinking that it's supposed to be easy. It's not. I want to make it, not just start it. And I want to stand before Jesus one of these days and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want, Paul said, you know what? I keep my flesh in subjection. The Bible says he, he, I buffet my body, right? We make jokes about that and say he buffets his body. That's what we like to do. We buffet our body, right? But the Bible says that Paul buffets his body. He literally beats his body into subjection. Why? Because I don't want to be considered a castaway. I don't want to have run this race in vain. I want you to make it. I want you to make it. So let's cheer each other on. Let's keep an eternal perspective. Let's remember we're kingdom people. It's easy to run this thing when I realize I'm in a different kingdom. I'm running with a different kind of wind. Right? I preached a sermon years ago called Against the Wind, simply because I like Bob Seger, but also because the Lord wanted to say something through Bob Seger. Against the wind. Some of us are running against the wind of the world, and some of us are running against the wind of the Spirit. You've got to choose which wind you're going to run against. But either way, there's always going to be opposition in your life. Either the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to oppose you, or God's going to oppose you. One way or another, you're running against the wind. And so we have to recognize that if I keep an eternal perspective and recognize that I am running against a world and a flesh and a devil that doesn't like me, but I am backed by the power of heaven, there is a crown awaiting me, then I can finish strong. I can finish well. God will supernaturally eradicate the desire to quit from my heart because of His Holy Spirit. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we thank You in the name of Jesus for Your Word. We thank You for the promises of Your Word. We thank You for grace, Lord, that rescues us. We thank You for grace, O God, that saves us. We thank You for grace that keeps us. We thank You for Your mercy, O God that did not give up on us, even in times of our lives when we gave up on you. You did not give up on us. Lord, I pray that today you would capture every heart here this morning that's thinking about giving up. That you would capture every backslidden heart here today. That you would capture every lost heart. That you would capture the heart of every Christian that is discouraged, that's felt like they've lost their way. And that, Lord, you would bring encouragement here this morning. In the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I just want you to consider where you stand with God today. Eternity is a long time, and I don't want you to gamble with the possibilities. Grace is extended to you. And if you're not right with God today, would you consider where you stand? Tomorrow's not promised. Today's all we've got. I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I'm asking you, are you righteous? Are you right with God today? Maybe you're in this place and you're in a wrong spot. You've backslidden. You've walked away from God. Maybe you're on the verge. You find your heart losing its passion. And I'm asking you, Christian, hear the voice of the shepherd. Don't be blinded by the small little things that are happening in your life right now that are starting to change your attitude starting to change how you see church and how you see your brothers and sisters in Christ, how you see yourself, how you see God. These little things that are happening 
that are pulling you away from God. Don't let the lies of the enemy pull you down this road and get you to a place where you didn't know, where you don't even realize how you got there. I'm going to open this altar to you in a moment. If you want me to pray with you, I will. If you just need to come here today and put your heart before God, then let's do that. Let's be real with Jesus this morning because humility demands that we be transparent. Demands that we drop the fakeness, the hypocrisy, the show. And there are some of us in here who need to consider whether we're in the race. What are your motives? Are you basing your life on feelings or faith? We're going to sing a worship song, and as we do this, I know it's not easy to do things like this, but let's just be honest with God today. If you need to make things right with the Lord, if you're a Christian here today and you just need to lay your heart before God, do that. If you need a healing in your body, we want to pray for you. If you need prayer for any reason, come. So if you can and you will, stand to your feet.